I don't know what the writer was thinking exactly when he wrote the song, but whenever we think about grace, it's that Sunday school definition of unmerited favor. It's the English definition of we've been given something good that we don't deserve. So whenever you think about the grace of God, then, then the word amazing really fits better than most other definitions, better than whenever most people start thinking about grace. Uh, whenever we define it, we, we think of it as something amazing, something that we didn't deserve, something that we didn't deserve but we needed. And so in Hebrews in chapter 4, we're going to talk a little bit more about grace tonight. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to talk a little bit about the throne of grace. And a lot of times we think about God sitting on the throne and we don't pay a lot of attention to the throne. And I'm sure it's a metaphorical statement. But whenever we think about God sitting on the throne of grace, we think about a just God. We think about a merciful God. The word long-suffering oftentimes comes to mind. But I want to use a, a an analogy if I can. I read several commentaries and, uh, in my study and in uh, I see a lot of similarities in it. We've been studying the Old Testament law in Sunday school class. And whenever I think about the throne of grace, I can't help but go back and think about the mercy seat. Uh, that is often referred to as, as the cover that goes on the Ark of the Covenant. It's where God's, uh, where, where God's presence dwelt. Uh, it's where the, the, the high priest would go into the holiest of holies and once a year for that day of atonement that we talked about this morning. But it was, it was something that was revered. It was something that was uh, looked at a little bit different than everything else. The holiest of holies was very, very uh, secluded part of, uh, of their worship center there. And, and nobody could go back there but the high priest. And it was only once a year. But thank God today we have a high priest that, that allows us to come 24-7. And we don't take advantage of it 24-7. But, uh, but, but we're allowed to be there. We're allowed to show up. Uh, we're allowed to get a prayer through. We're allowed to talk. We're allowed to communicate. Hebrews in chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 14. Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in as all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore... Come boldly before the throne of grace, unto the throne of grace, excuse me, that we may obtain mercy and find help in the time of need. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be at your house again tonight. God, thank you for thank you for the, the throne of grace that we can come to. God, thank you for your son, not only as a propitiation for our sins, God, but for that great high priest that we can come to for forgiveness of sins. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus, that through him we might have the hope of eternal life. God, be with us throughout this service, upcoming week. <coughs> Most of all, have mercy on the lost. Forgive us for we fail you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. I'm going to take this thing off because I don't think it's working, but I think I'm loud enough anyway. Whenever we think about the, the throne of grace here, often compared to the mercy seat, we see it as, as having some things in common where the people or, or the, the Christ followers, the God followers in the Old Testament times, came to as a... Uh, as an atonement, a place of atonement, a place of reverence, a place that they could come to to, uh, to ask forgiveness of their sins. 
And I'm going to use a couple of words here that, that where I see the throne of grace and in the Old Testament, what I see as the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. I see it as access to God. That, that's all I see it as, is access to God. Now, the Old Testament Ark was a symbol of God's presence. That's what it was. And so without it, then you saw the, the children of Israel get to where they were in kind of bad shape. Without God's presence, what kind of shape do we expect ourselves to be in? And so whenever I think about the throne of grace, that we're to come before to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need, I see it as access to God. And like I said before, we, we have this access 24-7. It's something that they did not have. It's something that, well, there's a lot of things that they did not have. It says in, in verse 15 that we have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We have a high priest that is more than a man. We read several times in the Old Testament where the high priest or even regular priests were, were tempted. They were misusing the place of God. They were misusing the instruments of God. They were misusing their, their name, their priesthood, if you will. There are a lot of times when even the high priest wasn't what he should have been. Our high priest ain't like that. Our high priest is perfect. Our high priest is exactly where he needs to be at all times. The Old Testament priest, whenever somebody needed them, they had to wake them up sometimes. They could get sick. They had to find a new one because the other one had died. We don't have to worry about any of that. Their access to God was something that was dependent strictly upon man because they had to find a man to gain what they knew as access to God. God spoke to them through the prophets. Sometimes God spoke to them through the priests. Today, God speaks to us through His Word. God speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. It's not something that can be marred by man. We, we read in the Old Testament of, of a man that took God's Word in the wrong direction. God told him one thing, he told the people another. And that man suffered dire consequences. Here today, as long as we're reading the, the only true inspired Word of God, then this, this is not messed up by man. Man has tried. A lot of times. I have a parallel Bible at my house and I use it for studying. It has, the pages is divided up into four columns. It's about that thick. But it's divided into four columns and it has four different translations. And it goes by verse by verse so I can see every translation and exactly how bad off the rest of them are. But I got it for, I didn't get it for arguing. But I got it for, for people that said, well, my translation is just as good as yours. But whenever the other translation leaves out blood, it's not. That one has been marred by man. Whenever that translation leaves out the word hell, that translation has been marred by man. The word Hades is referred to as the in some of the newer translations as hell. But whenever the younger generation thinks of Hades, they think of the old animation Hercules movie. And if you remember it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A gray man with blue hair. And he was funny. He was the comic relief of the movie. But that is what it's viewed as. And so the, the very essence of the word hell is taken away. It's, it's not a place to be feared. It's a place where the, the guy with the blue hair lives and, and there's a party. But hell ain't like that. Amen. The word of God is true and not to be changed. We're reading the book of Revelation. Brother Tim brought it up in Sunday school the other day. If anybody would, would add to it, to them will be added to the plagues that are in this book. If anybody would take it, be taken away from this, then their name will be taken away. 
And so whenever we see the Word of God unmarred by man, we understand that not only do we have access to, to pray to God and to ask God for forgiveness and guidance, we have access to what He has to say back to us all the time. I don't believe there's a person here tonight that don't have a that don't have access to a Bible. There's probably not anybody here that don't have a hard copy in your house. But pretty much everybody has a cell phone today and there's a Bible app on your phone. Some people have multiple Bible apps on their phone. But how much good is a Bible app doing us if we don't ever open it? We'll get off on that subject later. But we have access to God all the time. Back in this day, they couldn't come to the high priest all the time. It was only when they were around. And if COVID would have hit, they couldn't have come to him at all. But today we have access to the high priest all the time. And it said not only that, he said, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. We talked a little bit about being bold this morning. And, and being bold is often a borderline between uh, being soft-spoken and being a little bit offensive. But being bold for Christ is that happy medium right there in the middle where you get your point across, but you don't sugarcoat it either. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of Him. In Jesus, we have that boldness. Through Him, we have that boldness. But that boldness comes from confidence. If we have confidence in the Word of God, then, then we have access to be bold. If we have confidence in the Word of God, then we have a reason to be bold. Has anybody ever had to argue a point you didn't believe in? We were in college I'll never forget it. Teacher asked us, we was in a poultry science class. Teacher asked us to write sound something that had to do with animals that we were uh, passionate about. So we all did. She said, turn that paper over. Now write something that you're 100 totally percent, uh, 110 totally against. So we did. And she took the papers up. The next week she came out and she said, here's your part. Whatever we wrote down that we were for, we were required to debate against. Whatever we were dead set against, we were we had to we was required to debate for. And so I was one hundred and ten percent against uh, animal rights for cruelty of chickens. I've seen the plants. I know how chickens are slaughtered. It's semi-painless. I think they're humane. I had to argue why it was bad to kill chickens. Because they have feelings just like we do. It was extremely difficult for me to argue for that. Because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it one bit. I thought it was ignorant. But I was required to argue for it. And I had a difficult time being bold. I could lie. I could pretend. But people can tell whenever you're not, you don't have any confidence in what you're telling them. You start stumbling. You use, the word, you use the word maybe a lot. You use the word might. You take long, dramatic pauses and try to look at your textbook for a hope of an answer. People can tell whenever we're not confident. But if we're confident in the word of God, we have access to the boldness through Jesus Christ. And, and, and he'll lead, he'll guide us. Not only will he give us the boldness that we need, he'll give us the opportunity to use it. Algebra teachers in high school, whenever the kids say, I'll never use this. They'll say, one day you will, and you're going to think of me. One day you will. There's not a scripture in this Bible that we won't use if we're reading study. We may not use it tomorrow to be a blessing to somebody, but we will. 
But if we don't ever read and study this Bible, if we don't have the scripture to use, then guess what? The opportunity presents itself and we don't even know it. The opportunity that we have to be a blessing to somebody, to pray for somebody, to maybe lead somebody to Christ, and, and we miss it because we didn't have access. Because we didn't believe in Jesus enough to read his word. Because we didn't believe in the gospel enough to memorize scriptures, to write it up on our heart. Because we didn't believe in it enough to have access to this boldness. We didn't have faith enough. I've been there. It's not a good place to be. We have access to Christ every day. Why shouldn't everybody else? Sometimes our access is through the Bible, but sometimes other people's access is through us. And that's a blessing for us and for them. Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We enter into the holiest of holies on a daily basis whenever we ask for forgiveness of sins. When Jesus died upon that cross, that veil was rent top to bottom. There was no more division between God and man. There was no more need for prophets because we have the complete word of God. There was no more need for priests because we have the ultimate high priest. And so God did away with all of it and gave us access to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And all we got to do is show up. All we got to do is show up. It's a place of blessing. Grace brought us salvation. Seeing whom, verse 14, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. Question of salvation is a dangerous thing. That will cause us to lose our confidence. That will cause us to lose our faith. Not lose it, but it will definitely slip. Just a little bit of wonder. Just a seed planted by a teacher that shouldn't have been talking about evolution. By a TV program that just slipped in. We came from monkeys. Happens every day. Happens all the time. But you know what the greatest thing in the world is? Whenever we see that, is that we don't pay it a second thought because we know what the truth is. Is that whenever we hear that, is that we can defend it with the word of God. Because we have confidence in what we're defending it with. Whenever Jesus was tempted of the devil, he could have used a sword. He didn't. He could have grabbed him around the throat and strangled him. He didn't. He might could have shot him. They didn't have guns, but nothing's impossible with God, right? But he didn't. What did he use? He used the word of God. There's no adversary in this world that will fight that's any worse than the devil himself. But if we use the word of God with full confidence in it, the Bible says to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. To resist him. It didn't say beat him. Because Jesus is going to do that for us a little later. It didn't say whoop him. Drive him in the ground. And it sure didn't say run from him. The Bible says to resist. To try really, really hard not to succumb. To remember the scriptures that we've read and studied. To remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. To hold fast. Verse 14 to our profession. Let us hold fast to our profession. <clears throat> Holding fast is of the utmost importance. Because whenever we come before that throne of grace, if we don't believe it, we won't receive it. I'm a poet and didn't know it.
If we don't believe it, we won't receive it. If we don't hold fast to our profession, whenever we come before this throne of grace, if, if, if we think we're saved, then why are we asking for forgiveness? We should be asking for salvation. You can't be straddled the fence. Hold fast to our salvation, to our profession. For we have a high priest that cannot be touched. He cannot be swayed. He cannot be bought. He cannot be paid. Jesus is here for us. Not out of obligation. Not out of what He has to do, but because of what He wants to do. He's a high priest because He loves us. And that's something that very few high priests in the, New, in the Old Testament could say. They were there because they were born into it. They were there because they were chosen. They were there because their daddy was there. Jesus is there because he loves us. And he's our mediator. He's the person that we go to God through. He's the reason we say in Jesus' name we pray. He's the reason that we don't sacrifice. He's the reason that we stay away from the 13 dozen feasts and the umpteen dozen sacrifices that the Old Testament teaches about. He's the reason. He's the reason for everything. The reason for our hope. The reason for our faith. Giving us joy. Turn with me for the book of Titus in chapter 2. The book of Titus in chapter 2, verse 11. There's two books to the left in your Bible. I had a hard time finding it last night. I was looking at the other side of Hebrews. It tells me I need to study my Bible a little more. <laughs> Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, Righteously and godly in this present world. For the grace of God is teaching us these things. How hard is it to live soberly, clear-headed in this world today? How hard is it to live righteously, godly? I used to give out bracelets everywhere. I said, what would Jesus do? Well, he sure wouldn't do what we did most days. He wouldn't make the decisions that we've made in the past. We used to go to the Agriculture Expo up in Monroe and all the kids would want the sticks, walking sticks, that was about this tall. And you got them from the Coalition of Christian Farmers or something like that. And they gave everybody a walking stick if you listen to the story. And they told the kids about salvation. And if they listened to the story, they gave them the walking stick. And it had beads attached to the top of it. And it had a black bead for death, the red bead for the blood, white and for purity and so on. And they said, every time you use this walking stick, I want you to think about Jesus. And if you have him as your Savior, think about what he did for you. If you don't have him as your Savior, think about accepting him as your Savior. I have no idea how many people that they reach, but the guy said they give out north of a million walking sticks a year. So they tell at least that many people about Jesus. But he said it's all through grace. That's their big thing. It's, it's all through grace. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we can buy. But whenever you get past the walking stick, then you understand that it's not just right now. It's not just today. It's not just salvation. 
But whenever they get to the white bead, they tell you that after salvation, you can't go back to the way you were. And they reference this Scripture. That after salvation, we must deny ungodliness and worldly lust. They use a little different words for the kids and everything, but it's the same principle. That we have to deny things that are of this world. That we have to deny things that maybe we used to do that we know good and well ain't right. Sunday school this morning, the Ten Commandments were mentioned, and are we supposed to obey them today? I don't know. The Bible says to uh, Jesus said that on on two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so the Ten Commandments can be summed up in two. To love God and to love each other. Paraphrasing, of course. But if we can love God and we can love each other, then we can live righteously. We can live soberly. And we can live godly. No matter who threatens to throw us in the fire. If we love God and love each other. It's strictly dependent upon that. And if we understand the grace that, that's been bestowed upon us that we can. Through God's amazing grace we can live righteously. Through His amazing grace we can live soberly. Through His grace we can live godly. Because the grace teaches us that. But if you look right above that, it says teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. In order to live righteously, we have to deny those things. In order to live godly, we have to deny those things. And grace will teach us how if we listen. I never understood geometry, but I tried real hard to learn it. But there was kids in the class that wasn't paying attention. And they didn't learn it. Got to the test, they had no idea what to do. I don't know when my test will be on Titus. But I hope I've studied enough that, that I pass. I don't know when my test will be on Hebrews. But I hope that I've studied enough that I'll pass it. I don't know when my test will be on soul winning. But I hope I've studied enough that I'll pass it. I don't know when my test will be on witnessing for God. But I hope I can pass it. Grace will teach us how. Grace will allow us the, not only the, the education, but grace will allow us the opportunity. From a place of blessing, that throne of grace looks down at us and God looks down at us for a moment and asks us to come. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. The book of 2 Peter chapter 3. We come into this throne of grace boldly. But we come to get something. When the Bible said come unto the throne of grace, it didn't say come and be the first one there because the grace will run out. It didn't say come and hurry because I may not have enough for you by the time you get there. He didn't say come second. That way you get it once we replenish from the first crowd that came through. He said come because there is a certain supply. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 9 said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some can men count slackness, but as long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Throughout God's entire state of being, this applies. He's not slack concerning his promises. 
the grace that He has promised to us, He's promised to us from everlasting to everlasting. From way back yonder to way down yonder on the timeline. Forever in both directions. It don't run out. It don't slow down. Because He is long-suffering to us. Whenever we don't deserve His grace, guess what? It's still there. Whenever we mess up and deserve to have the grace took away, guess what? It's still there. God is long-suffering to us even though we don't deserve it. God is long-suffering to us even though we put other things ahead of Him. God is long-suffering to us even though we, we miss opportunities that He gives us. God is long-suffering to us even though we take the things that mess us up in this world, we take it out on Him. Whenever we experience loss, the first thing that we think is it's God's fault. May not be the exact words, but how often do we say, how could a good God let this happen? How could a good God let bad things happen? I didn't know there was so much evil in the world until I started teaching. Until I grew up. But there is evil in the world. And it's not older people. It's not just Chicago. It's not just the Middle East. It's down the road. It's in the school. It's in homes. It's everywhere. It's in the cell phone. It's in the TV. It's in a lot of churches today. There's evil among us. But God is long-suffering to us. And if we want the opportunity... To achieve grace, He'll give it to us. If we want the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else, He'll give it to us. Because He's a good guy. And that's all there is to it. We don't deserve it. We have grace because He's a good guy. We need it. But we didn't earn it. We have it because He's a good guy. We didn't try really, really hard and all of a sudden, grace... We didn't have to. He's a good God. And if we'll come before this throne of grace, even on the eve of a revival, God will bless us. He'll teach us. He'll forgive us. And He'll allow us to grow as individuals, as families, as church, even as a community, as a nation. He'll allow us to come back to Him. We have to approach that throne of grace. We have to come boldly. We have to come holding fast to our profession we have to come believing and like we said this morning we have to come from our own free will because we have a great God but we have to come to him we have to come to his throne of grace we have to come to him with a broken humble and contrite heart and he'll heal us he'll forgive us he'll help us I'll have a verse for a song tell you that, that old gospel music is on its way out it's, it's not like the contemporary stuff. But that song can mean more to me in, a, in any given time than some of the new stuff ever will. That song can speak to my heart whenever, whenever I really need to, to remember how great God is. Whenever I need to remember how much He has done for me, how much He can do for me. This morning I want to talk a little bit about what we're focused on. We're going to read from the book of Daniel in chapter 3. I'm going to give you a second to find it. Uh, it takes a, a minute. It's kind of a small book. But uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're focused on this morning. And, and, and I couldn't ask for a better example. And I'm sure it happened by accident because the Lord arranged it that way. But when the youngins were up here singing, 
and and there was a distraction right here. And and if you didn't watch it, you 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 find yourself focusing on on the on the little bitty kid and and lose track of the music. And all too many times, we'll we'll find ourselves distracted by things that that we ought not be distracted about. It's it's nothing bad with it, but. Whenever we get our mind off of God, whenever we get our mind off of the music, has anybody ever messed up singing because all of a sudden your mind was somewhere else? I've sung the third verse when I was supposed to be on the second, and I had smooth missed choruses before. It don't take very long for us to be distracted, for us to lose focus, for things to for things to take our mind away from where it really ought to be, for things to take our mind away from how great God is. And I want to read about the three men here that didn't get distracted. And they have way more going on than we ever will. The book of Daniel chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 4. The book of Daniel in chapter 3, verse 4. A little context here. Nebuchadnezzar in verse 1 made an image of solid gold. And he commanded that when the music played for everybody to bow down to the image. If you read your Bible and you understand how the story goes, but I want to look at it from a, a very different aspect this morning. In verse 4 it says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, languages. That at the time when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, and the harp, the sackbut, and the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. And whoso falleth not down to worship, the same hour shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather at your house this morning. God, we thank you for the wonderful service we've had thus far. Thank you for the, the good music that's been rendered up to you. God, I thank you for the, the gifts that you've blessed the church with. God, thank you for each one that's gathered. God, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we open your word, God, that we can open our hearts, that we'd be willing and able to receive what you'd have to say to us this morning. God, help us that we wouldn't be distracted, that we could remain focused on you in our everyday life, in amongst the trials, in amongst the troubles. God, that we could remember how great you are, and that we could sing how great is our God, how great thou art, God, and that we could sing it from the heart, and we could realize it and recognize more exactly how great you are. God, help us so we can depend on you in a greater way. God, most of all, for Bill Lawson among us this morning that is yet to depend on you for their salvation, God, I pray that this could be the hour they could discern and accept Christ before it be everlasting too late. Forgive us for we fail you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Here we read of, of a time when there was music going on. Not only was there music going on, but, but there was a threat made. I, I hadn't been threatened yet. There's several churches in the in the country that's been threatened to shut down and I thank the Lord it hadn't happened in our parish or even uh, remotely close to us but at the same time there are things going on in our life that we can get distracted by here are the three we, we call them the three Hebrew, Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego they were worshiping God in a foreign land they were well, they were captives for lack of a better term but they weren't supposed to be here they were in a land that, that other people didn't worship God. Is it safe to say that Christians are in the minority today? We're, we're in a land that seemingly not very many people worship God anymore. There are a lot of places that, that play church and, and don't really have God at the center of it. They worship people. Or they worship lights. Or they worship song lyrics. And they don't worship God. We, we have a political system that wants God taken out of everything. The exact opposite of trying to worship God. Amen. And so as Christians today, even in America, even in the Bible Belt of America, 
We can often relate to the fact that, that there's not, it's not popular. And here in this day and age, these three Hebrew children knew what they were supposed to do and they knew what they were not supposed to do. And what they were not supposed to do is to worship anything other than their God, even though it was the law. Nebuchadnezzar built this golden image and he said, fall down. And the first thing that happened was music played. Are we distracted by the music that's going on in our world today? I'm not talking about music. I'm talking about media. Whew. I don't have direct TV anymore. I used to watch Fox News every now and then. I try real hard to stay away from CNN. But it's gotten to where you can't hardly believe anything you see. So I'd catch some of my news on Facebook. Can't believe that either. You catch a little bit in the newspaper, you can believe some of that. But the reality of it is, is media will catch our attention quicker than the Word of God will. The music and the, the things that are going on, the, the things that we hear, they'll distract us from, from understanding who God is, understanding how great God is, understanding how much we need to depend on Him. And instead of depending on God, we'll, we'll go check Facebook. Or we'll go to the CDC website and see what the numbers are doing today, even though we know that they've been lying too. We'll go check the weather out. I use Fox 8 out of New Orleans. I'll go check the weather out and see what the hurricanes are doing. I'll see what the hurricane over there by Africa is doing. Where we should be concentrating on what God wants us to do. We should be concentrating on the job that God gave us. On the mission or the great commission, if you will, that we should be working toward. And all too many times we're not. We should be focused on the lost in our church, in our community, even in our family. But we're not, because hurricanes takes our attention. COVID takes our attention. School starting back takes our attention. Busy family life takes our attention. Sports, professional, recreational take our attention. Everybody looks at things in different ways, but whenever it comes down to it, we all look at God's word the same way. Less important than it should be. I try real hard not to. But many times in my life, I undervalue the Word of God. And if we're all completely honest with ourselves, at some point in time, we probably do too. But the Word of God has the answers. Here the men, were they weren't distracted by all the music. And then they said in verse 6, Whoso falleth not down and worship, the same hours shall be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Here there were a lot of people gathered at this place. It says that there were nations and languages. It suggests that there was, there was multiple uh, kingdoms, if you will. There were multiple types of people. There were different sects. There were different groups. Everything about these people was diverse. But it wasn't asking for one person to bow down. It was asking for all people to bow down. And today, it seems like everybody's being asked to bow down to the wishes of the government. The king, the one who's in power. And the people, which is the crowd, the, the diverse group, which is us, is, is asked to put our faith and trust in whoever's sitting on the Supreme Court seat, whoever's sitting in the White House, whoever's a part of Congress, where in all reality, our faith and trust should be in God. That's, that's where it should be. And whenever it comes right down to it, if we get distracted by who's in power, then, then we're doing God a disservice because we're forgetting who He is. And we're forgetting that regardless of, of who takes uh, the, the 
Supreme Court seat, regardless of who wins a presidential election, that God can still accomplish His will. And if we don't believe that, then shame on us. If we have any kind of lacking of faith that politics can influence God, then we don't understand God enough. If we think that the President of the United States can keep God from doing His will, then we don't understand God enough. Here the king told everybody to bow down, and we're going to flip over and read it. Down in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods nor worship my golden image that I have set up? And there are a lot of things that we can compare idols to in this world today. A lot of them. What are we focused on? I heard a quote last, maybe last week, maybe this week. A guy said there's no such thing as reality. There's no such thing. Because it is based solely upon perspective. And he used an analogy. Can you tell me what's on the label? Because if I'm not mistaken, from your side, you see a barcode. From your side, the barcode exists. But from my side, only the label that says purified drinking water exists. Our reality is based on our perspective. We see what we want to see. If we don't understand it's happened, an English teacher told me in high school, she said, ignorance is bliss. If you don't know about it, it can't get you down. Reality is based on perspective. The children of Israel did not have the, the perspective to see that there was a way to worship anything other than God. Because they never allowed themselves to believe that there was anything else worthy to be worshipped. They didn't believe that there was anything else out there that, that deserved the worship and the praise that God did. They never allowed themselves to believe that there was even an alternative to believing and worshiping and trusting in God. Therefore, whenever it came time to fall down and worship a golden image, I don't think they hesitated. I don't think they bent a knee. I don't think they looked around to see what everybody else was doing. All too many times, we'll look around and see what the crowd is doing. We'll follow along. We'll pretend not to follow along, and then we'll follow along. We'll bend a knee and then realize there's somebody else standing up, and then we'll stand back up. I'm going to serve God, but only if somebody else is doing it too. Three people in a crowd. It don't tell me that anybody else stayed on their feet here. Which tells me two things. One, they knew Nebuchadnezzar was serious. I don't want to be burned. I burned my hand twice on my griddle this morning. I don't want to be burned ever. Not ever again. I hate it. These men didn't fear that because they knew their God. If these men would have been thrown in amongst the COVID, they wouldn't fear it because they knew God. I never feared my parents, but I respect them. That's the type of the fear that, that the Bible talks about whenever it says to fear God, not to be scared and terrified, but to respect to reverence at a high level. And whenever we begin to fear God the way that we should, then there's no question of whether or not we're going to obey Him, whether or not we're going to stay with Him, whether or not we're going to bow to the things of the world, or if we're going to stick with God. Verse 15 says, Now if you be ready at the time which you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psalter, and dustmer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you should be cast in the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. 
And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And their answer is beautiful. No doubt you've heard it many times. Shagrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. And said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee to this matter. I've been very, very careful to answer somebody's question about God because I didn't want to offend. But the secret is that God's word is offensive. It is. From cover to cover, this Bible is offensive because it tells us where we're wrong. It tells us where we've messed up. It tells us that we're sinners undeserving of God's grace. And yet all at the same time, from cover to cover, this Bible gives us hope. From cover to cover, the Bible gives us mercy. From cover to cover, the Bible gives us guidance. And so here the, the three men, they said, we're not careful to answer you on this matter. But we're not careful. It, it is what it is. I saw a picture, may have been last week, it said some things are better left unsaid. And I usually realize that right after I see them. And that's the truth. We want to reach out and grab something and bring it back because it may have offended somebody. These three men knew what was coming to them. I don't think there was any doubt in their mind that whenever they told the king this, I think they was probably a little smart alecky about it. They said, we ain't care if I answer you. Because they knew the outcome. They knew what was going to happen. They knew the outcome. They didn't know how they was going to get from A to B. But they knew the outcome. If you've read the back of this book, you know the outcome. If you're saved by grace, you know the outcome. You don't know how you're going to get from here to there. But we know that God's going to get us there. We know that He's going to take care of us. We know that He's going to protect us. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. Verse 17 says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. I don't see a maybe in there. I don't see a might in there. Don't get me wrong, the things of this world should concern us. It should concern us enough to pray. It should concern us enough to get down on our knees and to beg God to help us. It should concern us enough to pray for our leaders, to pray for our community members, it should concern us enough to reach out to those family members that aren't in church. It should concern us enough to go talk to that person that we know is unsaved and tell them about Jesus. The things of this world, the, the music, the politics, should concern us enough to draw us closer to God, not drive us away. It shouldn't suck us off into, bless you, it shouldn't suck us off into the fire. It shouldn't suck us off into concentrating on the king. We shouldn't be focused on the, the things around. And no doubt at this point in time when they give him this answer, they could see the fire. I've seen a forge with the, the blue flames on the inside of it. and Golly, that looks hot. They could probably feel the heat coming off of it. King said he heated it up seven times hotter and gave him a second chance. beautiful thing about following God is that if you have faith in Him the first time, it's easier to have faith in Him the second time. This is not the first time that these three Hebrew children were tried. This is not the first time that their faith was tested. And if you're here and saved, if you've been saved for any length of time, chances are your faith has been tested. 
Your belief and trust in God has been tested. Your commitment to reading His Word, to praying, to going to church, your commitment to God has been tested. And going forward, it probably will even more. But these men didn't shake. And neither should we. Because we serve the same God. Let's read about it. Verse 18, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image that thou hast set before, uh, that is set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, the form of his visage was changed against Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it wants to be heated. And he commanded the mighty men to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the furnace. These men were bound in their coats and hosen and hats and other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was real. The temptation was real. The fire was real. The punishment was real. Everything was real. Verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking around in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt in the form of the fourth. is like the Son of God. There's a song about it. It's a beautiful song. It says he's still in the fire. Three went in, three came out, and where'd the fourth man go? He's still in the fire. He's walking in the flames. And he'll be there to help you when you call upon his name. Any trouble that we may think that we're going to get thrown into, Jesus is there waiting on us to take care of us. Anything in this world that we think may hurt us, that may cause us physical pain, Jesus is there to take us through it. Anything in this world that we may think even might take our life, heaven's waiting on the other side of it. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy living here. But I think we're all going to enjoy living in heaven even more. And whenever we get to the point in time in our life that, that we become unfocused on that, that we lose sight of, of the things that are to come, that we lose sight of what God has taken us through before and what He's promised to take us through in the future, and we lose sight of how great God is. We lose sight of both of the songs that we sang this morning. How great is our God that He took three men that were bound in a fiery furnace and walked around and talked with them, no doubt, inside that fire. How great is our God that whenever they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. I wasn't in a fire this morning. I was in front of a griddle, but I still smell like bacon. And for about the next three days, I'm probably going to smell like bacon. It's hard to get that smell out, even with soap. But these men didn't smell like fire. Because God is capable of a thing that we like to call as, as miracles. We see miracles today. We see people that are reached out and touched by God. We see people that are protected. We see people that are taken care of in a world that should never happen. 
in a world that, that they should have been swallowed up in long ago, in a world that there's so much, so much turmoil, so much terrible, awful, just badness, some of the evil that goes through people's head, I didn't think was possible. But God promised to take care of us through that too. God promised to take, through, take care of us through it all. There's a song about that too if you want to look it up. Turn with me if you would to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Hebrews is often known as the, excuse me, Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. And we read about a lot of men who had a lot of faith in God. But the thing about it is, these men were natural men. They weren't gods. They weren't angels. They didn't have anything that we had except a little bit more faith. Because they believed, trusted in God more. They believed on God more. They depended on God more. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. I heard a man preach one time. He said, he said it's a dangerous thing to plant roots in this world because it's going to burn up one day. We should plant our roots in heaven. We should lay our treasures up in heaven. We should allow our focus to be made on the things of God and not on the things of man. Because these things are temporary. These men that we read about in Hebrews 11 saw it. They saw it from afar off. They believed that it was coming. And whenever we sing how great thou art, if we can see how great God is, it'll give us a new perspective on life. Down in verse 33 it says who? Talking about the, the men of faith, the people of faith really. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lies, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. It goes on to say that they were mocked, scourged, stoned, afflicted, and tormented. But it jumps down to verse 38. It says, of whom the world was not worthy, of whom the world couldn't understand, of whom the world didn't deserve, because these people had faith in God who had control over the world. They had faith in God who was able to deliver them from the world. And if you read back through the Bible and, and you study a little bit of your history of the way some of the disciples died, it was cruel. It was terrible. No doubt they're comforted today on, in heaven. They said that whenever the Lazarus died that he was comforted in Abraham's bosom. That he was taken care of. And whenever we understand that that this life is only temporary, we're given a job to do, then we can understand that a great God can get us through that job. Then we can comprehend and, and really depend on our great God to get us through that. And so whenever you turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts in chapter 4, whenever it comes down to it, not only should we not bow down to the things of this world, not, should we, uh, not only should we not allow these things to distract us, to get our eyes off of God, but we, we should be near about the opposite. Anybody ever heard the term, be bold? 
I tell my kids in class that mainly because I can't really hear and they have to holler at me. But whenever you think you have an answer, then you have to have a little bit of confidence in yourself. Be bold about it. But the reality of it is, is whenever we're being bold for the faith, we're being bold for God, who has all the answers, who has all the power, who has all the knowledge and wisdom. And in Hebrews in chapter 4, we read of two men that were before a council of some of the men in power. Once again, men of God standing before those in power. In verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Whenever we speak boldly on God's behalf, whenever we speak boldly to things that are in the Word of God, whenever we speak boldly as Christians, then people see things different in us. They saw the boldness. They were marveled. And they took the knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. If someone heard us speak today, could they assume that we had been with Jesus? If someone heard us talk today, if we tried to be a witness to somebody, could they assume that we had studied the way that we ought to? Or would they assume that we're a... I use the term because I've seen it. Are we a Facebook Christian? We'll share a scripture and that's it. Or are we a disciple of Christ? Will we reach out? Will we show God's love? Will we try to reach those who otherwise aren't reached? Will we try to be what God would have us to be whenever we try to, to overcome the things of this world and focus on the commission of God? Focus on our dependence upon Him and the commission He's given us to do. If you're hearing unsaved this morning, I want to read verse 12 to you. The last statement they made, it says, Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you're hearing lost this morning, then, then you might as well focus on the media because you have nothing else to focus on until you have God in your life. If you're hearing unsaved this morning, then the only thing that can help you out in this world and in eternity to come is Jesus. That's it. The Bible says that there is no other name under heaven. Name above all names. Jesus came, and we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. He came for our atonement. He came and died so that we might live. He came and died for us so that we might be partakers, so that we could be the sons of God. And to be saved, all you have to do is believe that. That he came and died, rose again on the third day. He conquered death and hell for you. He conquered death and hell for me. Because otherwise, we didn't deserve it. Without the blood of Jesus, we didn't deserve it. But through Jesus, you can be saved. If you'll surrender to Him this morning, He'll save you right where you sit. If you'll believe on Him right now, come to Him confessing you're a sinner, He'll save you as we speak. And you can understand how great a God we serve. You can sing how great is our God. You can sing how great thou art. And mean it from the heart. Amen. I will have a verse for